va te faire enculer, sale fils de pute. This is le classique, and this is number four in our list of the best French players in Premier history. Papo, how are you? I'm great. Number four, what a journey. Number four. This is obviously the first time we've started the <laughs> list with a, a terrible French obscenity. Maybe we should give you know, our listeners some, some context. So this was the headline of, of L'Equipe, the famous French sports newspaper, on Saturday, the 19th of June, 2010. And allegedly the words that Nicolas Nelka, who's number four in our list, Uh, comments that he allegedly made to, to the manager, uh, Raymond Domenech. So I think one of the things we're going to see with, with Nico is that controversy has kind of followed him in, throughout his career. Um, you know, we're going to debate, argue, discuss a little bit whether that's mm. been totally justified or not. Um, <laughs> obviously, he's come out quite recently with a documentary on his career and life which i thought was maybe not totally illuminating but still we can talk about some of some of that stuff um and again we're going to follow the kind of usual structure right so we're going to talk about you know what he was like before joining the premier league before his career in english football we'll talk about his career in english football which was pretty long actually in an elka's case lots of different clubs uh we'll then talk of course about his i think pretty large cultural impact in in different kind of ways yeah. and then we'll finish particularly Bappo you know best about this around the view from France and how he's perceived in, in France and I think he is um, an equally controversial if not more mm. figure in France than he is in, in the UK but how does that sound? Sounds, sounds tasty. I think we're going to have a lot to discuss. <laughs> Now I want to play a little bit of a clip of Anelka before he joined English football. On a déjà eu l'occasion de regretter le véritable exode des vedettes du football français à l'étranger. Il y en a partout. On vient de franchir un nouveau cap avec le cas de Nicolas Anelka. Nicolas Anelka n'a que 17 ans. C'est un des espoirs de Paris Saint-Germain. Il a été formé au club. Eh bien, le PSG vient de se le faire souffler tout simplement par les Anglais d'Arsenal. Cela devient vraiment inquiétant. Florent Gautreau, André Germain. Dans that little clip, Bapo is from when young Anelka was a, a, a teenager, a player for, for PSG, for the, for the Paris team. And I think one thing that we're going to find is that controversy kind of follows him throughout his career, even from such a, such a young age. So mm. he was obviously a, a starlet at, at, at PSG and at uh, Clairefontaine. But maybe do you want to talk us through how he was perceived as a, as a young player in, in, in France? Yeah, very much a, a prodigy, really. Mm -hmm. um, you know, PSG were already a big club. I know people think they were invented around 2011, but, you know, <laughs> they had been, you know, cup winners, cup winners, Champions League semi-finalists, one of the two biggest clubs in French football with OM and one of the biggest clubs in Europe. And, um, and you know, this was a side in the mid-90s that had, you know, Rai... Um, Bernard Lama, Paul Le Guen, you know, a lot of a lot of famous players um in France and internationally. And um he he 
he was born in Trapp, right, which is a suburb of Paris and went through the ranks. And by the time he's sort of 16, 17, he's already playing, uh, certainly training with the first team squad. And actually makes his debut in the 95, 96 season. So like, as I said, he's he's 16. And then plays about just under 10, just about 10 games in the 96, 97 season. So, you know, by the time he's 17, he's certainly somebody who's on people's radar in France. He'd also, I think he'd gone through the Clairefontaine yeah. uh, Academy, which, you know, we've talked about it quite quite a lot. And it's very different to what's done in the, in England, in the UK, right? But you basically pool all your best talent between the ages of, what is it, so 13 and 16, probably, around around those ages, at Clairefontaine, which is the French Federation's academy. And mm-hmm. that's where they pursue their football education before they head off to their respective clubs and are pillaged by the biggest clubs. Yeah, and so, and so many stars are sort of... Yeah, sort of made, I mean, right. And one of one of the interesting things in the documentary, I thought, was, you know, he has some of his friends from that time, including Thierry Henry, talk, talk in it, and... It's interesting how Thierry Henry, right, one of arguably the goats, right, says that at Clairefontaine, you know, Nico was the guy. You know, he calls him Nico. Yeah. yeah. He was really, you know, in this academy, which is supposed to bring together the best talents in the country. He, he even in that group, sort of stood out as this is, this is the guy. This is the certainty. Yeah. There's a, there's a little bit of, when you think about it, uh, you know, um, Ben Arthur about him. Right, or maybe mm-hmm. I should say, there's a bit of Anelka and Ben Arthur, right? As in guys that we never saw play when they were really young, but somehow you knew that right. he was going to be the next, the next big thing. And and this, you know, we're talking ninety six, ninety seven, so it would have been quite specialized um, football magazines, probably France Football, L'Equipe, uh, but there would it would be tidbits about there's this young player already training with the first team at PSG who's on the cusp of the first team and, and, you know, pushing more experienced players. He's, he's called Nicola Nelka, you know, look out for him. I remember we had, there were similar things about Kylian Mbappe when he was at Monaco, right. And he was 16 mm. and, you know, in pre in, in preseason, it was like, there's this guy who's like impatient to go into the first team squad. It's going to be a matter of when, not if he's going to, yeah. he's going to start. The Mbappe comparison is a, is a, is an interesting one. Um, obviously, similar positions from a similar area of France, both kind of Parisians, and both so, so obviously at different kind of periods in their careers. But they both sort of, you know, Mbappe is sort of running down his contract now, and and this this transfer away from PSG to Arsenal mm. is is so controversial because it, it it's at a time where the Bosman ruling has only really just started to appear, right, in the kind of mid 90s really so he's actually one of the yeah. first quite high profile uh, bosman uh, transfers now originally arsenal think that they don't have to pay a fee at all turns out <laughs> that because he's younger than 24 they they have to pay yeah. the, a fee of 500k which will they will more than recoup a couple of years yeah. later when they sell him to to real madrid but i i guess a couple of things stand out here that will will mark i suppose anelka's career one is the great confidence in his own ability mm. even at a young age right so the idea so many 17 year olds would be happy to okay i'm getting game time for paris this is good you know this yeah is, my hometown club felt, yeah it was he felt i'm not playing enough i'm i'm as good if not better than i think it was it was it marco simone was there at the time those kind of 
Yeah, so those, those times of, yeah, those times of players, the I guess. Good yeah. French Ligue 1. Patrice Loco. Patrice Loco. Patrice Loco, yeah. <laughs> but, that, but I know they're hearing the exact same thing with Mbappé you know, at Monaco, saying, okay, you know, you know, Falcao's here, um, mm. Valère Germain's here, but like I'm, I'm better than these guys, and I, and I really back myself. And so that's 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 one of the things, and the other thing is, of course, the, the 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 yeah, the kind of moving for for transfers. I think he's already advised at this time by his two brothers, and there's a question mark over whether they've mm. been a positive or or negative influence on on his career. But already, there's interesting how some of the hallmarks that will touch his career in the UK and elsewhere are already uh, visible a little bit. Just him being a trailblazer, trailblazer really. Yeah. You know, mm. like you said, when Bosman happened, I think for a lot of clubs, it was a case of, oh, I might be able to get a senior player much cheaper than originally planned, right? And Arsenal were way ahead of everyone in going, who's the next starlet that I can sign? <laughs> you know, very young players moving on Bosman didn't happen at that time. Or moving, or even moving for a small fee between clubs didn't really happen mm -hmm. at that time, and so he was he was brave enough, like you said, and confident enough to say, "I, I need to go," and actually, I'm I'm going to start a movement potentially. Not that he thought about it in those terms, but that is certainly certainly a trailblazer. And and uh, yeah, like you said, I mean, the incredible confidence to sort of be looking at the PSG squad and going, I should really start here. And actually yeah. I'm going to move to a different country at 17, completely different league, <laughs> borderline agricultural league at the time and okay. say, you know, I'm, I'm impatient for a reason because I'm walking in, you don't have that many strikers and I don't really see what the difference is between an aging Ian Wright and myself. You know, it's, yeah. it's, uh, it, it's not so surprising now that, players so young do that but it's still the reason why we're talking about players like Mbappe and to a lesser extent Ben Arthur is those guys did it really young and they had that certain je ne sais quoi about them right which people said very early on it's not a question of when it's not a question of if but when right that they're going to burst through and be some of the best players in the world obviously for Ben Arthur very fleeting but Mbappe, no doubting, right? Yeah, I think that's a nice little transition. Actually, obviously, for you know, for N'Golo Conte, he had a much who was our previous player on the list, number five. He had a sort of longer career in France before before joining uh, Leicester. Of course, for the Nelke, it's slightly shorter. So, so I think this is a good actually opportunity to transition to his sort of career in in English football. I just want to play a little clip here of some of his goals. Good turn of pace. Oh. Nicely played through to Anelka again. In on a goal! Oh, he squeezed it in at the near post! And again, that would have to go down as a Scott Carson goalkeeping error. But take nothing away from Nicholas Anelka, who's absolutely on fire at the moment. It's his second of the game. It's 3 0 Chelsea. And you have to say, even at the halfway point, game over. So, as you say, Beppo, so obviously he joins Arsenal. Uh, first, I think um, let's go through all the teams he plays for in England. <laughs> right? so Arsenal, obviously, much time we got <laughs> for two years, <laughs> ninety-seven to ninety-nine. Um, so he then goes to to Real Madrid on a big transfer. PSG, 
then a loan to Liverpool. He's at Man City. He's at Bolton. He has some very good years at Chelsea. And then he has a, a, a fairly underwhelming time at West Brom. But just the, the, I guess the first thing that stands up here is just the diversity of clubs mm. that he would have played for in, in English football. Yeah, uh, there aren't many players who've gone through, not ups and downs, but that variety of clubs uh, in, their, in their careers. And what's interesting as well is he stayed, apart from the loan at Liverpool and obviously his ill-fated tenure at West Brom, he stayed a decent amount of time at each club, right? I mean, I think mm -hmm. he stays two and a half seasons at Man City, about the same amount of time at Bolton. Stays about three and a half seasons, I think, at, at Chelsea. You know, yeah. he takes the time to make his mark on each of these clubs. And obviously at Arsenal, where he bursts, through, bursts onto the scene. So I, I think that's also the interesting part of it is, you know, you associate... Anelka, where he went, th he went through a lot of clubs, very different clubs, playing different styles of football, and yet he took the time at each club to actually be there and be a mainstay of that team, and he he, he never left after six months, you know, on a whim, really. And that's, I think, that's quite that's the interesting part yeah. about Anelka, who's, and, who was seen as a bit of a mercenary at some point, right? All right, he's moving again, but. Yeah, but he'd done, he'd done about two seasons at each club. It, nowadays, <laughs> you know, people after, you know, after a year, 18 months, people are going, well, his contract's running out about 18 months. When When is he next leaving, right? And he, let, he never really did that. Let, let, let's maybe talk, because for me, at least personally, when I always think of Anelka, if I were to think of him in a shirt, say, I always think of him mm. in, in the Arsenal shirt. Maybe because this is when he really kind of breaks through yeah. and becomes a kind of world-class uh, talent but i always think of that and, and and actually it's quite interesting his initial frustrations that he has at psg of you know he wants to play more actually at the start of his arsenal career he also gets a little bit of these frustrations now he's coming on in games you know he signs in in the middle of the season right in kind of february which isn't the, the easiest but it's really at the kind of the second half of the 97 98 season where he really yeah. starts to to, to break through and Ian Wright gets an injury so he starts to, to play more and ultimately contributes to their great double success now I don't think he's a key player necessarily at that time but still mm. he plays around 20 games he scores he scores goals and uh, he contributes to the success but th but the next year is when he really yeah starts to explode right that kind of 98 99 season. he has a he has a very Jeremy Aliadier start to his career also, <laughs> right? The guy full of promise coming off the bench a little bit and, and a pop start here here and there, right? But as you said, he just after a while there's just no denying it, right? As as soon as he gets extended game time, there was just so much about him. He was fast, his technique was flawless. Obviously he had an eye for a goal. Worked worked for the team, and I think that's generally no criticism was ever made of him of being a lazy player for for any of his teams and um and by the time he's 20 i mean he, and he has his first real full season as the undisputed striker for first and only season as the undisputed striker for arsenal he's clearly maybe the biggest young talent in the world at that yeah. moment of time 
I just remember the, the kind of the thrilling speed of him. Those, yeah. This is kind of a time where he's up again, you know, quite a lot of kind of more lumbering centre backs still around <laughs> in, the, Gary in, in the division, and just the the way he would sort of just outrun them. It, it, yeah, it felt like he was on a kind of other athletic level compared to lots yes. of, kind of players he was he was up against and and some so you know he i don't think he's one to admit to regrets so much anelka no so the whole thing of his um what was the name of his uh documentary again the name is a misunderstood misunderstood yes yeah, so <laughs> i don't have any regrets you know yeah but the one thing apparently he has admitted is that you know maybe he shouldn't have left arsenal so soon after that 98-99 season but it, uh, but you know hindsight's a wonderful thing and 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 it's interesting because if you look at the start of his career there's why wouldn't he back himself right he's 20 he's just had 18 months of dominating in the premier league after leaving at 17 from psg to go to a whole new country and a whole new different different league why wouldn't he be able to do it, it, it you know i and like you said, I don't think he's the type of character to actually have any regrets. I think when he makes a decision, he sticks by it, mm. and and in a way, he's he he lives by it, right? He's sort of like, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm my own man. I'm the decision maker here. If it works out, it works out. If it doesn't, I've only got myself to blame. Um, obviously, now you could you know rewrite history and say if he'd stayed another year, would he have been more mature? But the question of his maturity was one that plagued him until I he probably moved to man city so the reason i say that is is because so at all at all these clubs in the uk he's successful no he's you know with the exception of west brom and and arguably liverpool but he's he scores goals but i I never feel he's totally loved by any of the fans of these teams and i and i think at arsenal it could have been Mm. it could have been possible Yes. I think because he was and he was to me he was such a symbol of that of that side no so so young talent young French talent in mm. particular and so that's to me that still is Nicola Anelka his best his the best Anelka in my mind or the most iconic Anelka yeah because I know for you you think actually essentially the, the, the Chelsea Anelka is actually where he plays his the best football of his career I, I, I think for me that's where he plays his best football but interestingly i'm also with you in the sense that if you ask me where he made more of an impact mm-hmm. or which team i would really identify him with it would be arsenal right and that's, t-shirt you know, <laughs> and that's maybe also because there's a little bit of inherent snobbery towards you know early days man city and bolton under sam mm. allardyce which is completely unfair right um but it's true that i still identify him as the you know, young, skinny, fast striker with a poker face from from Arsenal at Highbury, rather than you know the te- technically gifted sort of luxury role player, if I can put it that way, at, at Chelsea. As in, he's not the main man; he doesn't hog the mm-hmm. limelight, but but actually, he's super vital. You know, you know what I mean. He's just sort of doesn't make any noise, but you look at his time at. Chelsea and and you go oh he was a huge contributor to a super successful side yeah I, I, I think that's been... I, he just wasn't the, the headline act at 
at Arsenal, it felt like he was. And I don't know why, because you had Burkamp, you know, you had Vieira, you still had the famous back five, right? You had all those guys, but I think he was just a spearhead of, you got a sense at Arsenal that it was a totally brand new era and there was a world of possibilities, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and everything Wenger was touching was turning to gold and it was, you know, and players were yeah, like, there was a kind of that we signed. And- and this guy that we signed at 17 and then a year and a half later, people are like, oh shit, he's actually our yeah. main striker for years to it, come. And yeah, that, yeah, yeah. I think that's what I think that's where he, why people identify him with Arsenal is because he was part of that. There's this new wave of players coming in not at Arsenal that's opening doors for players in the Premier League. Whilst at Chelsea, even though I think that's where he was the better player, which isn't surprising because he was 28 29 it felt more like okay he's actually at the level he should have always been at and he's part of a well well well-oiled machine yeah i think there's a slight tension here because one of the reasons he's so high up for us is is just the longevity in in the epl no so nearly 400 games 364 125 goals 48 assists you know so i think you did the math so that's that's about a goal impact every other game yeah and but yet to me in my mind it's still that that very short period at arsenal which mm. is so iconic and so there's almost a, you know a slight tension between actually he's had a really kind of long you know yeah. professional career in the uk <laughs> and yet we we associate him with things that happened so early on in his in his career rather than than the good things he did at other at other English clubs and I think that's maybe also partly due to the fact that we were very young when he arrived at at Arsenal as well Mm -hmm. you know it was the it was the rise of the Premier League really at that time it's internationalization um it's the hype around it you know the the fact it was being broadcasted everywhere etc I think that's also why we why we feel that in a way and, but also because he was so fucking excellent. Uh, yeah. Also, he just had the world at his feet. And like I said, he, you know, when he joined Real Madrid, he, he joined in what Raul would have been, what, 2022? 20, and you looked at it and you thought, they've got the two best young strikers in the world. I'm, I'm sure there were others at that time that I'm forgetting, right? But it, it really felt like he was going to be the next big star in football and that's also because he had just started being in the in the front squad and there was a bit he scored a double against against um england at wembley in one of the last games at wembley you know it it just all felt at that time very much like there's something in motion here that's unstoppable i think that's 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 why we have this memory of him at arsenal it's because at that moment of time there was there wasn't really a doubt in anyone's mind that he was going to be the next big striker in the world for the next ten years, probably. What, what, one of the interesting things, and obviously we're focused a, a lot more on what he's done in English football and what all these players have done in English football. But it's interesting a little bit to do the comparison with, you know, what he's achieved uh, outside of England, which I think is a lot less. Yes. You know, so, so of all the teams he's played for, right? So Real Madrid, you could argue that that didn't go so well. Yeah. You know. PSG probably not so well no. either. You know, he was supposed to be the 
to, to you know bringing back the kid to Paris to make them champions it never happened mm. Fenerbahce I think you can argue that yes that that was a success right he won the league but, it, but it's a lesser club it, with yeah. all due respect to Fenerbahce he was 25 going to play in Turkey yeah that's where that's where Demba Bar goes when he's you know when he's finishing his yeah. career, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, so Shanghai flop, Juventus flop, yeah. Mumbai flop, and so actually most of his experiences outside of the UK have been unsuccessful, whereas most of his experience mm. in the UK have definitely been successful. And I think that dichotomy is pretty interesting. I wonder what we put it down to. Do you think English football suits his skill set well? I mean, certainly when he was younger, you you think the kind of the intensity, the open spaces that you can get in English football that maybe isn't in other countries, but yeah, and the, it, defensive, you know. the defensive ineptitude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, we are discovering that a little, you know. Yeah, you know, people thought Liga was a farmers' league, you know, and that Messi would score, yeah, you know, exactly. seventy goals in his in his season there, and you're realizing that actually some of these leagues are not so, are not so easy to play in. Yeah, but it, but. But it's true that his best times were always in the Premier League. And when we're talking about best times, we're, we are talking about special times. We, we should really say that. I mean, you, you know, you've, you've given the stats. A, a, goal or a, you know, a goal involvement every other game when the major, you, know, you spent a lot of time for two clubs that were fighting towards the bottom half of the table. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and yes, you spent time at Chelsea, but your time at Arsenal was pretty much a season and a half and you were under the age of 20. I mean, that says something about the sheer quality that Nicolo Nelka brought to the Premier League over, over a sustained period of time. What I like about it also is that it's, um, and we've discussed this already a little bit, but it's kind of like the thought experiment that you get with world-class players. You know, if you were to put them in Stoke, could they do it for that team? <laughs> or, you know, for kind of a struggling side, how how would they how would yeah. they manage? And actually, with Nikola Anelka, you've kind of lived through that experiment. Yeah. You know? And it actually shows that you know he could he could do it at the top sides, and he could do it for. Um, the more middling sides or, or or the poorer teams, but it's actually quite rare for a player of yeah. his talent to actually have played of with teams of really such kind of varying varying quality. And and I think it's to his um, yeah to his credit that he's performed so well across and the, all these different teams. And I think what's interesting is that not only is was his career path not linear, mm-hmm. right, but it, but it's also that. When he was at Man City, sure, it hadn't worked out at, at Real. It hadn't worked out at PSG. He'd had a semi-successful loan at Liverpool because he's, I know he scores five in 20, but I don't think he starts many of those games. And I remember reading Gerard Julier saying, I, mi- I made a mistake not, you know, in not taking up the option to buy him, right? I think that, that rankled between the two of them, actually. Mm-hmm. But when he's at Man City, he's there for two and a half season, playing for a club that's just been promoted, and he just bangs goals in, right? And he's 24, 25. And yet, nobody makes an offer apart from freaking Fenerbahce. <laughs> you know, it, I, I just find it so puzzling when you look when you look at it objective, you know, kind of, if you, stepped, if you step away a little bit and you looked at a player who did that for the Premier League on a, over a sustained period of time for a club that's, 
wasn't struggling, but you know, wasn't having an yeah. easiest time of it in the Premier League. Still under twenty five, twenty six. You, if you, if you didn't have the name Nikola Nelka on that player, you would say, why is no, why is no one picking him this up? Player? Why is he not yeah. in the middle of bidding wars, right? And yet nobody really went for him. And even when he came back, at, and then again at Bolton and in, did an outstanding job. Sure, obviously Chelsea went in for him, and Chelsea were evidently one of the biggest clubs in the country. But it never felt like there was a huge queue of suitors out there trying to. Yeah, and that was that's what I find so fascinating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and the transfer from from Bolton to to Chelsea is done in the January transfer window. It's it's. I remember it being a bit of a surprise, or like oh, people think oh, that's that's interesting, and actually, as you say, a top club. You know, taking a chance on Anelka yeah. again, and that's what I think is interesting about his career. And I'm, I'm really glad that he got this kind of second bite at the cherry, if you want it, in a top, mm. uh, you know, English team that's fighting for titles. Because he, at Chelsea, he demonstrated without a shadow of a doubt, yeah, what a kind of great player he was in a slightly different role to the one we had associated him with previously. You no, know? so he would sometimes play on on the wing a little bit or you know he would be associated with with Drogba and help actually to Drogba to to play well and to perform well so you actually saw the kind of you know some of his more technical qualities the maturity in his play his intelligence all those kind of other qualities when when he was just a kind of a, a really kind of raw is the wrong word right but but so kind of dominant through his through his through his pace, acceleration, great finishing when he was a kind of younger player. Yeah. He was a more complete player. Playing yeah. playing in an experienced and mature side and it felt fitting that he arrived there mm. in a way. Like you said, it kind of felt like his talent to learn and actually what how he'd been performing over the last four or five years meant he deserved a crack at, at another bite of the cherry and he and he did extremely well, you know. Top uh, top scorer in the Premier League one season with them. Um, I think scored a goal every every th- three games for Chelsea. Um, you know, won the Premier League, two FA Cups, Champions League runner-up. You, you know, there's a reason why they were very good. They all, I know, they had a ton of ex- extremely good players. And he wasn't the main one, but he was clearly one that if he was missing, you would have noticed it actually. It's when it mm-hmm. is when he went missing that people noticed how important he was to the side in a different style to what he was doing before. So it showed his maturity and his intelligence and his technical and tactical ability. Yeah. My my feeling of his although he was clearly excellent at Chelsea, my one feeling is that maybe there there aren't so many really crowning iconic moments you know, like you last minute winners or kind of key goals or things like that. to me and to me his kind of um golden golden boot trophy reminds me a little bit of the Berbatov one at United mm. you know in the sense that um clearly excellent player in a top side but you never quite felt that he was the most important player in yeah. the team, despite the fact that he's, you know, the kind of top uh, top goal scorer. Whereas when at Arsenal, I just feel that you've got, a, I don't know, a lot more of those kind of really important yeah. moments. Or and it's funny because 
as excellent he was in the Premier League, was there a defining Nicola Anelka Premier League moment? Mm. I can I can think of I think there's 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 a Nicola Anelka goal type, you know that you feel you've seen dozens of yeah. times. Yeah, the one where he's, you know, falling behind a little bit, outpaces the 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 mm. defender and just top-notch finish you know usually kind yeah. of quite low shots and really powerful and mm. so so i think that to me is a there's a there's a iconic anelka goal type but as you said i think there's a specific moment that i would argue was was defining and to me actually the the big one and maybe this is a good transition actually to talk about the cultural impact that he that he had in the uk to me, what I think about the most is the his two goals at Wembley for France. Yeah. And it's weird because it's just a kind of friendly. I was there. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> you were there. Yeah. And your, friend, uh, your good friend Alex Nakor was a uh, mascot. I was the ma- mascot for France. Knew nothing about football, shout out, but, uh, <laughs> but was the mascot in the, you know, turned up in the dressing room with Zidane, Deschamps, Anelka, all those guys who just won the World Cup and let them out <laughs> onto the pitch. Maybe that's why Anelka was so inspired. But I think there's something about the fact that, you know, these goals came against England in mm. London, you know, the city where he was totally imposing himself. And it was just, that game was just a symbol of the total dominance of French football over, yes. you know, every country in the world, to be honest, but particularly the, the England, though, that felt so... Yeah. You could see it so far behind in that in that game, and at that time, you the association with Zidane is so strong, right? Mm. So Zidane assists Anelka for the first goal, and you think, "Wow, this is going to be the combination for France for the next decade." And I think there is, you know, you've really put the emphasis on celebrating what he's done in England because it's been amazing. But I think there is also with Anelka, there has to be a little bit of what could have been. Yeah. You know, oh, had yeah, he so had he stayed at Arsenal a bit longer or had his French career panned out a little bit mm. differently. But to me, I don't know, I don't know about you, but to me that is actually the symbol of Anelka in England, weirdly, is that that, uh, that friendly. Yes. And I think it's because, as you said, it's slightly tinged with regret mm. or with a sense of underachievement. It was. It was also a case of, and I don't know whether we're getting ahead of ourselves, but it was also a case of for France, what they, what they'd been crying out for was a striker. <laughs> yeah, you know that that nineteen ninety eight World Cup squad had Givash, terrible, Dugarry, as much as I like him, poor, and very young, <laughs> very young Trezeguet and and Henri, and Henri was more seen as a pacey winger, and Trezeguet was was clearly a striker, but was still raw, right? I mean, they, they were 20. So in 99, when Zidane is just about to hit his peak, because t- to my mind, Euro 2000, he's untouchable. I know, I, I, I mean, I could talk for hours about, or days about Zidane, and I know people will say 2006, but at Euro 2000, Zidane was yeah. on another planet. Yeah. Um, and so people were looking at it and going, Euro 2000 is looking good. Uh, if only we had a strike. Oh, there he is. There he is. Yeah. There's, that- There's the 20-year-old striker that everybody fears in the toughest league in the world. Um, and he's just banged two goals against them at, at 
the home of football, uh, sort of, right? That's certainly how it would have been couched in the, in the papers here at that time. And I think that's why I, I mentioned it briefly earlier, but there was really a sense that everything was falling into place for him. Mm-hmm. And and it was just gonna be it was just going to be like this for <laughs> the next ten to twelve years on you know until he retired or unless a bad injury happened to him. And 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 so so I agree. I think that's his that was a big moment. That's maybe the big moment that we remember for Anelka, certainly with France, apart yeah. from the from the introduction. But and, and, but and I, I, with, yeah, it's tinged with so, un, right. being underwhelmed. And, 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 I, and I do think his 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 sort of impact culturally in the UK did seem kind of important to me. So for me, he's the symbol of a couple of trends that are happening in the late 90s in British football, right? So the kind of move towards incredibly kind of mobile, often quite skillful front players, you know, away from the kind of double target man, centre forward, the kind of Shearer, Ferdinand combos, that kind of stuff. So I always think of him and Owen just emerging at almost exactly the same time with ultimately pretty similar profiles. I think Michael Cox's book talks well about this kind of transition, how this is before centre-backs had adapted to this new type of striker and they were just absolutely dominating. And then the other thing that I think that that he's quite symbolic of is that will happen, in that I think of happening in the late 90s, early noughties of British football, is this kind of pinching of young yeah. French talent. You know, that he, he was the kind of example that so many clubs then wanted to emulate and, and went to go to look to find French players in kind of academies in France with with more or less levels of success. Yes, he was the poster boy for Clairefontaine and French academies in general produce well-rounded players ready to play yeah. straight away even at a young age. That, that you can nick for... <laughs> that you can nick, <laughs> less nick than a million. The team, but, al- but also that were ready right yeah. and that maybe actually had a maturity that fairly or unfairly british players might not have had because there were still you know all clichés that were still existing at the time but it was if you brought a youngster in that was english he would play well and then get battered with his teammates right at the pub for for the rest of the night whilst it was with anelka it was look at this 17 year old who's just come to another country and has adapted just like that and is utterly professional. And because we need to mention that there was never a really a point in his career apart from maybe when he was linked with Real Madrid and there were accusations that he wasn't maybe as focused, let's put it that way as before. But apart from that in his career, there was never really any point where there were accusations of an Elka not being professional, not turning up on time at tra- training, you know, all those stories that leak to, to paint a picture. That was never the case with an Elka. So I think he was a poster boy for, look at all those young, talented, tactically astute players whose formation was spot mm-hmm. on and who have the maturity to come to this league that you can get, basically. Yeah. And And if I can add a third one, it's also the he helped usher in the, the era of not just young French players, but French players in general, right? If he if he doesn't succeed, 
as successful as Putti and Vieira are at Arsenal, if he doesn't succeed, people still go, all right, well, now I'd, you know, I can have a harder working central midfielder. I can buy a harder working central French midfielder who will do the job, but not necessarily those mm-hmm. creative players. Obviously, you'd had Cantona, but he'd been here forever, right? Yeah, yeah. But he arrived at sort of the same time as Ginola and all those guys, right? So he was yeah. part of that first generation of te- technical players being successful and coming from France. Yeah. And you've talked, I mean, there's so much, so much stuff to talk about here. <laughs> you've talked about it a little bit, though. The, the, the one time in his career where maybe he is accused a little bit of. I don't think it's unprofessionalism, but maybe lacking enthusiasm is this idea that he's agitating a little bit for the transfer to, to Real Madrid. This is when the Le Sulk <laughs> name emerges from kind of British uh, tabloids. And you told me, Bapo, that in, in, in France, people called him Le Pharaon. Yeah, I think so, if his, I recall um, correctly. Because he, he's his sharp kind of features. And, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, yeah, it's... He's he's just such an interesting character for me, and his mm. he, he did, and his impact is huge. Which is funny, considering he's ne- there were never stories about him. You know, it's not like Ashley Cole had stories about him. Not that he was necessarily making a lot of noise himself, but there were stories about him. You know, yeah. all those players around which there was some sort of hoopla. There was nothing around that for for Nelka, and he was like I said, utterly professional. And yet he was tagged as a mercenary for quite a while. He was tagged as an idiot who's just following his greedy brother agent who was just okay. going to pawn him, pawn him everywhere. So, so this is another way I think he's a kind of, not a trailblazer, but it, to me these are kind of the first stories that sort of emerge of mm. the influence of agents and things like that. So now, you know, you have, you, everyone knows who the agents of the top players are. Because I feel that wasn't really the case in the kind of the late 90s, the early noughties. And with Anelka, everyone knew, oh, it's his brothers, you know. A bit like, oh, now it's Mino, you know, who's whispering in his ear and making him make wrong decisions. I I just wonder whether at that time we also can't discount the slight... How can I put it? There's... I wonder whether there was a little bit of an element of classism and racism attached to that as well, right? Which is, look at this young, young black kid from the suburbs burning his bridges because he, him and his family just want to get rich quick, right? I w- Sadly, I wonder whether there was an element of that, mm-hmm. which, like you said, is just, isn't A, isn't right, and B, we've seen that, because we've seen that element of agents having a lot of say over a player's career, even to the detriment of their careers. We've seen mm-hmm. that happen constantly to a number of players, right? So he wasn't an exception. And yeah, you know who's who's Mbappe's agent? I think his father plays quite a role. Adrien Rabiot, his mum plays a huge role. Yeah, yeah. You know, and these yeah, are and yeah, so yeah. these are family members being agents as well, right? So yeah. I think, again, he was a trailblazer uh, and I wonder because he was going through so rapid, so rapidly through the steps that people deemed necessary at the time, whether there was a little bit of an undercurrent to that. Um, especially added to the fact that, like we said, he he didn't play the game in the press. He didn't 
he wasn't a, you know he wasn't friendly with journalists to try and get a good work ha- word out you know he just didn't do that and um, uh, what, to his so one, of, one of the one of the interesting things of watching his documentary is just i never heard his voice before yeah. And I realized that when, when he started speaking, so, oh, that's what an Elka sounds like. Oh. And I suppose that it would be interesting, you know, because now players have such a direct, you know, communication channel with mm. with fans and too they much. nearly all, possibly too much, yeah, but they, they nearly all use it and they're not dependent on the media as much to convey messages yeah. right and so some of these players as you say that had stories kind of about them even though they were not actually you know communicating themselves yeah. i think of ashley cole as a kind of quite a similar example yeah also accused of being slightly kind of aloof and things like that you know what what would they have been like in the in, in you know in the current order right where they could have maybe defended themselves a little bit more and in, by apologizing in for a bad performance <laughs> on Instagram and yeah, you maybe, know, doing yeah, carpool karaoke with, with Jesse Lingard and Bruno Fernandez, <laughs> you know, yeah, maybe, great. Yeah. Maybe, <laughs> maybe I'm being too optimistic about <laughs> the potential of social media to yeah. But it but it's so, interesting because there there was a there is an, I think it's more but as you say that they can fight back against some of these you know stereotypes that that undoubtedly you're right existed in the media and continue yeah. to yeah. kind of exist today and and there and there was a rawness and an authenticity for better or for worse with anelka that you don't that you don't didn't really get with other players at the time you know it was very yeah. much he was very headstrong not mm-hmm. that he was going out in the press about it but obviously with his career path he was very much his own decision maker um and it's and it's interesting because despite it was so disproportionate between what was said about him in the press and how i think fans reacted about him at his clubs Mm. right so his arsenal departure his constant movements afterwards his his struggle to sort of stabilize for a certain number of years up to the point where he arrived at man city was a bit sort of is he a spent force and is he a bit of a mercenary who's just trying to get his yeah. brothers rich? Especially when Claude Anelka took over that, was it Falkirk or Rainbow? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> um, you know, so there, there was a bit of a there was a bit of an element of that. You know, that's how he was portrayed. And yet I I, I feel safe in saying that maybe not so Arsenal fans at the time, but certainly Man City, Bolton chelsea fans whilst they didn't have a, a an amazing rapport with anelka what they maybe didn't identify to him mm-hmm. i think there was a warmth to him right i think there was so they were obviously glad to have him on their on their team because he was so such a high performer but there was also a sense of yeah i know what i'm getting with this guy he's not cheating me he's not he he comes up he does the job you know he's not here mm-hmm. to He's not here steal a living or anything like that. Yeah, and he's not here to be theatrical about it all. You know, yeah. like I said, there's an authenticity in it. That's I think that's a great point. And a lot of the clubs where he kind of flop, flopped a bit, particularly in later on in his career, he didn't stick around to collect his wages, right? So he's yeah. when he went to Shanghai, he was like, this is a disaster, I'm getting out of here, you know, or or in Mumbai, he wasn't there for very long. He's getting, so 
exactly he's not that that also speaks to a kind of a, a, a form of honesty and authenticity i suppose that isn't necessarily always a kind of yeah, associated he, with him he you know he wasn't going to kiss the badge but he was also yeah. not going to kiss the badge you know what i mean he's <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah kiss the yeah not kiss the ass yeah i see what you, you know so I, I, yeah i think he was very and that's maybe why he was called the sulk because he had such a poker face and you, you know not that he took the fun out of playing because I, you could tell he was enjoying playing but yeah. he was very much focused and he was here to he was intent on delivering for his I, team and that's i love i also football needs a couple of players that have that kind yeah. of yeah I, I love it like a tony martial or sebastian haller i think has that kind <laughs> of vibe to him also you know but yeah you know serious i think it's because these players are demanding of themselves also you know they're kind of yeah perfectionists well look look you, you know you had could there be more of a um a difference between him and his successor at Arsenal right I mean Thierry turned up you know in the yeah. end a better player than Anelka maybe not in pure raw talent actually mm -hmm. you could you could ask that even he's said so himself but obviously the better career the better player right but it's interesting how it was all va va voom and he was, uh -huh, yeah, you know, yeah, and it yeah, was, yeah, you know, yeah. all that stuff which endeared him and then started grating a little bit at some point <laughs> for non Arsenal fans towards the end, you know? And, so, and it's interesting to see that evolution. Anelka didn't have any evolution, he was just there, he, you know, he was yeah. just your player for your team. And I, the, that's just how he lived it, that's just how he lived his football. There's so much to talk. I completely forgotten about the Henri coming to replace him. I mean, that's a narrative in and of itself. You know, the two buddies from Claude Fontaine, and suddenly, you know, one takes over from the other, becomes the best player in the world, arguably. I mean, yeah. so many little story tales. You no, know, when you, oh. I suppose that what happens when you have such a, a varied career. But should we should we conclude? Quite. I mean, we've we've had so much to talk about, but there is so much to talk about. Yeah, but, cool. but one thing we wanted to talk about, I think, mm. you know, we we hinted at this in the introduction, but we should talk about it some more. Is 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 how Anelka is viewed in in France, and of course, I'm going to play a clip here. The, the the moment of the World Cup in 2010 is always going to be relevant when we talk about Nicolas mm. Anelka. So I'll play that now. France's World Cup footballers have refused to train, engaging in a sit-in on the team bus in protest against Nicolas Anelka's expulsion from the squad. Patrice Evra was witnessed in a dispute with fitness coach Robert Duverne in full view of the media, after which the players boarded the bus and drew the curtains, handing a letter to the press officer which explained the Anelka incident was the cause of the protest. So, yeah, maybe, obviously... You know, Betis, you're a French citizen. You know, you know these <laughs> things a little bit better than than I do. But um, yeah, how is how is Anelka perceived in France? Obviously, he's played there a bit with PSG. Does the South African debacle completely overshadow everything else? Is this how he's going to be remembered in France, despite our best efforts to 
try to remember <laughs> the great things that he achieved in English football. I think I think the way people look at Anelka is just with disappointment. Mm. And, and not more vitriolic than that, which is maybe surprising considering what happened in 2010. But certainly in terms of PSG, I mean, I think his departure in, in, in what, 96, 97, no one cares about that anymore. Everybody's yeah. forgot about that. His return to PSG when he's the most expensive player that PSG's ever bought and remained so for a very long time was meant to herald a new era of les banlieusards for want of a better word let's <laughs> mm. uh, bring in the kids from the suburb suburbs and have this parisian identity you know but how interesting how everything that is lacking with psg right now well yeah that's interesting how history sort of repeats itself it, yeah right? that's exactly what the debate is at the moment with yes that. and he they had identified that and he was the you know the standard bearer for that and it mm -hmm. failed and look it, it happens right he was still a young player high expectations, I don't know, th things didn't work out. I mean, you know, managerial merry-go-round, instability at the club, Luis Fernandez, you know, all that kind of stuff that explains a lot as well. But so I think from a club perspective, I think it's more a case of, well, that's, it's partially forgotten now anyway, but also a case of what could have been. But he wasn't the only one at the time who was brought in, you know, the likes of Stéphane Dalma, Peter Luxin, you know, all the all those guys were meant to be brought in to to start this new era. What's more interesting is is his international career, and I think this is where it's undoubtedly a disappointment. Mm -hmm. His international career for France. So we've talked about the that promise 99, that, that ninety nine game, right? That's the pinnacle of his career for France, yeah. and that's when he's twenty. That's when he's twenty. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It after that his career instability, the fact he plays for lesser clubs, the inherent quality at disposal of the managers as well up top. You know, you've got Henri, Trezeguet, Saha is breaking through, you know, all those, uh, I'm probably missing some, a few players who were also having good seasons. That also explains why he's not at the forefront of people's thoughts. And that was also partially due to that reputation which we've talked about of him being, having failed at PSG and being a bit of a mercenary for for mm -hmm. second tier sides really that's that's the way he was looked at right there's a there's a second part in a way to his international career for france which is from about 2006 2007 onwards and obviously the move to chelsea helps where yes he's there's a the feeling there that he's sort of matured right in, yes in clearly and in his attitude and that Actually, this is a great time to kind of reintegrate him into the France team. Clearly. And he obviously got on well with the likes of Henri and with, with some important players in the dressing room as well, which shouldn't be discounted, right? And so there's this second part to his international career where it, it feels a lit, it's the international equivalent to his club careers. Here's his second bite of the cherry. Uh huh, yeah. And, and, he's, and he seems to be making the most of it. And by that, it me I mean. No noise coming out of him from playing for France. Accepts his role, probably not as a strike as a starting striker, but as a key member of the dressing room. Let's keep in mind that players like Benzema are also bursting through the ranks at that time, and Henri doesn't want to let go of his, you know, mm -hmm. place as the golden boy, which actually also hindered Paul Trezeguet for for a few years. Um, and that's even though 
the worst international manager in French history is at the helm for <laughs> yeah, I know the time. I mean I was kind of amazed at how how many caps actually Anelka he's got a lot, right? Sixty nine caps. Yeah. And Fourteen goals. Mm. So I think that tells the story is never considered a never considered an important player for France after ninety nine, really, as in one yeah. of the first names on the team sheet. You can still be important whilst not being part of the starting eleven, but not. He was expendable. Let's put it that way. Yeah, it all comes to a head in 2010, and interestingly enough, even though he's allegedly well, he's clearly the one who utters something to Dominic. <laughs> Whether those were the right words or not, I do not know. But he's clearly the one who has a row with Dominic. But everything snowballs from there, and I don't think it's. Uh, it's necessarily his fault. I think where it's his fault, he doesn't want to publicly apologize. I think mm-hmm. he hates Dominic. Well, not hates Dominic. I think he has no respect for Dominic, but then he's not the only one in that dressing room to be in Yeah, yeah, yeah. So certainly not. <laughs> he's in the majority. <laughs> yeah. And and I think he's he's being made a scapegoat, evidently. And that's what leads to the mutiny. I don't think he has a role in the mutiny. He's already been kicked out, right? Yeah. The thing that does him a disservice is he's very unapologetic in general about things that he does about his actions, right? So we talked about how he lives with them. He's also completely unapologetic about it. But but from him uttering those words to the whole debacle that happens, a lot of things needed to happen to get there. And he had a very, very minimal role in that. Mm -hmm. And I think interestingly, people actually look at it that way, mm-hmm. considering how psychotic it all became when you know when they came back. Obviously, that they, they were rubbish at the World Cup, but when they came back, it was yeah, parliamentary committee was crazy and... in France, right? Mm. And yet, even at the time, no one was really saying all of all of this is Anelka's fault when it, he could have very easily been yeah. a scapegoat. So. I think his cultural impact for France is people people will remember Anelka in the sense that if I talk about him to someone, everybody will know who I'm talking about. But he won't be at the forefront of people's thoughts when they talk when they think of the France yeah. national team. And when people will talk about him, they will say he was aloof and he never delivered on his promise for the France squad and he'll be forgotten in that sense. Yeah. But no I think it, no animosity. Yeah, I, I think it's it's good that we've sort of remembered all the the great things that he achieved in in English football, and I think that's always the fear with Anelka is that when you talk about him, you 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 talk mm. too much maybe about what what could have been, but actually he achieved some some great things over the long term in in English football, mm. and I and I and I think there's less of that feeling of what could have been than 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 the way that kind of French football fans think about it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, ultimately his career ended in a whimper. Yeah. Right. That's, I think it's, it's so disheartening to think of it that way. You know, (laughs) he, he, like we said, I, I was never, I never liked Anelka. And I think a lot of people, will say that. I think a lot of people will say they don't dislike him, but they feel nothing towards him, 
right? And we said maybe that was an advantage for him when he was a player on these shores because he was just focused on the playing, right? And maybe you shouldn't expect that much of your of football players who are just human like any of us, right? But I think the the end result with Anelko is he's an he's kind of anonymous to French fans, and no it's... one re- and no one feels any emotions towards him apart from yeah he he was really 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 good at some point, but his career's a bit meh. And I'm saying for French fans, right? His career's yeah. a bit underwhelming, and I don't feel anything for him. And that's why, <laughs> considering he's he's fourth on the list, I know that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's such a compared it's to real. But that's in the top five that that generates such uh, yeah, yeah. Deep, deep feelings. But that's way. But that's also because there was an element, and I think it fits with the way his career ended. Right. Yeah. The last memory, if it's even a memory that we have of him in the, in the UK, is of him getting sacked by West Brom. doing an an anti-semitic sign right in support of of one of his childhood friends who is a notorious anti-semite in france right now is he anti-semitic himself i don't i I have no reason to believe and i in all honesty i never thought he was ever anti-semitic but i thought he knew that what that gesture represented certainly in france and he still went ahead and did it, right? And I think when that happened, I think in France, the reaction of a lot of people was if there was going to be one footballer who was going to do that, it's, it's it Anelko. Because, because he just doesn't care <laughs> about people's reactions, right? And I think that's such a symbol of his career. Ultimately, yeah. he just lived his life and he didn't care what people thought. And he just did what felt was right for him, in a way. Yeah, well, Beppe, I think that you know it's been a fascinating discussion. <laughs> and now I feel like we can't quite end it on such a no. celebratory note, but I, I think it, I, it reflects, I think, the character himself. You no, know, that it ends on such a kind of note of ambivalence, despite <laughs> his kind of brilliance on the field. He, he's uh, schizophrenic is not the right words. But he's the most torn character, and maybe that's because he has more depth than the others. I don't know, but he's the, <laughs> you know, he's the most torn character in our list. I think certainly appears that way. And you're right. I don't. I don't want it to end on that. <laughs> it, it's, We're it's, ending it, on a whimper. Just yeah. It, it, it's just it's just to show that his career, considering the talent at his disposal and what and what he objectively achieved in his career there's a sense of being really underwhelmed by his career and yet at the same time we should really celebrate what he has achieved so, but that that very celebration considering what in a way a lot of people think he ought to have been is underwhelming in itself yeah yeah and i and i don't think we're ever going to you know re- resolve those feelings Today, in some ways, I think it's quite fitting that we that we end on this kind of ambivalent mm. note. So, Beppo, thanks so much for taking us through some of this. And yeah, uh, next week, uh, we'll be entering the top three. Yes. So, thanks for listening. You can follow us on Twitter at Le Classic Pod. Uh-huh. This has been Le Classic, and we've been talking. <laughs>
Nicolas.